that beautiful, uh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Uh, a couple of things real quickly before we head into the message. I want to thank uh, the guys in the back there, uh, Brad, Justin, Nick's in there. Alan uh, Blobaum uh, was not able to make it, and uh, so those guys are filling in, and they've done a great job. So thanks, guys. You're always so faithful. These guys get here early in the morning, Justin and Brad and Alan. What time do you guys usually get here? 6.30? Yeah, about. About 6.30 or so. So you have people that are here, uh, and they've done that for three years. And what what did I raise your pay to? Yeah, I gave you another zero, didn't I? Yeah. I think they're getting two or three zeros now. So. Give us a donut. We need to tell people thank you. I mean, these guys are committed, and uh, I'm grateful for them doing that today. Uh, Barbara Moon, uh, it's wonderful to see you again. Many of you know Barbara has gone through two hip surgeries, and uh, she's now back with us. We've been praying for you. We love you. We've missed you. And uh, be praying for her, uh, her husband, Brent, uh, on uh, Friday morning early, right? I had to rush him to the hospital, and it uh, been a pretty serious blood, uh, infection in his knee, almost went to uh, the blood, but he's doing a bit better and uh, praying for him. So anyway, but Barbara, it's good to see you again. Good to have you uh, back uh, with us. Um, let me uh, read off a couple of songs and see if you, any of you have ever heard these. Victory in Jesus, to God be the glory, I'll fly away. I shall not be moved, holy, holy, holy. How great thou art, great is thy faithfulness. Blessed assurance, near the cross, old rugged cross. Battle hymn of the republic, at Calvary. And tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. That's the, the hymn sing tonight. Um, Somebody asked me the other day, actually it was Dylan's dad. Dylan's dad, Mike, will be with us tonight. Used to be a worship leader, loves hymns. I ran into him the other day and we began to, to talk. And he said, well, do you like hymns? Because, you know, contemporary, if you don't sing hymns all the time. I said, well, actually my first pastor in 1987, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, which was Bible Belt, and all the people that I pastored were 55 and older, all we ever sang was hymns. And so I really cut my teeth on my first pastorate. Uh, on hymns, and so I know there's a, a generational gap in what people like, uh, but uh, we wanted to provide a hymn sing for you tonight, and so we're going to have uh, a bunch of good old hymns, so uh, we'll get a chance to fellowship together, eat a little bit, and then I invite you to make sure you uh, participate with us in that. Uh, starting next week, two weeks on, I believe the Lord has given me kind of the clarified vision for our future. Uh, we've been going three years in um, the last five or six months. I've really been before the Lord and said, okay, Lord, uh, well, what's what's the vision? And it won't be in full form. It will be very embryonic. But I want to lay out to you uh, what I think the Lord is saying to me. We will then uh, start early in January to really begin to take a look at it and go from there. But I think you need to know. So anyway, I hope you'll be here next uh, the next couple of weeks so that you can kind of hear the fresh new vision that I think the Lord is uh, presenting to us. And many of you know that there's an election coming up. I'm going to invite you to continue in this last home stretch to be praying for our nation, uh, for the church to stay unified, and for uh, the Lord to have his perfect will. I've entitled my message again today, the third of uh, my final three messages. Are we alert? Are we prepared? Let's pray. Father, we live in a very interesting time of human history. 
And for such a time as this, Lord, it's not an accident that any of us in this room are alive today. It's not an accident that any of us in here are believers. We're to be salt and light to our culture. And what we do or what we don't do is significant and will make a difference. And so I'm asking, Lord, that you would give us great wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing in all of our getting. We're to get wisdom. We're to move beyond our own opinions and our own humanity to gain a spirituality and a wisdom that will prepare us and help us to be the men and women in church you want us to be in this unique time of history. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Guide us. And uh, we pray today will be a unique and divine and special day in this church in Jesus' name. Amen. My introduction, third time, three weeks, you should catch it by now. In your educational and schooling years, did you score better on a pop quiz? Or when you knew a test was coming and you had a chance to prepare? I think it's a true statement that most people will admit that they do better and they achieve more when they have an opportunity to prepare. My friends, if we're living in the last days, the end times, do you think uh, you'll be better off by trying to just handle the situations the best uh, you can when they happen? Or do you think it'd be better that you are prepared? I think it's... Uh, Dangerous, and I think it's extremely unwise to not take action to prepare. I think, uh, and I'll talk about it in a bit, uh, I think the Bible says in the end days there'll be a great falling away. And I think the great falling away, and I don't think that's uh, concerning non-believers, but believers, is because they didn't prepare. They just kind of went on their merry way and didn't recognize the signs or... They didn't prepare their lives for what was coming. And uh, I pray that none of us would fall away. So I think it's uh, important that we prepare. The Bible makes it quite clear in a variety of passages in the New Testament that in the last days, the end times, Christians, we're to be alert and we're to be prepared. God doesn't say that of a non-believing world, but he does say it to his church. He does say it to Christians that it's our opportunity and our responsibility to be prepared. It's not a, a suggestion. It's not a sideline issue in the scriptures, especially in regard to the end times. God says to the Christian, to the church, be alert and be prepared. What I want to do, again, if you haven't been here, this is a three-part series. Uh, this is the third uh, message if you haven't been here and you want to hear more, go to the, uh, the Connections table and sign up for uh, Take 1 or uh, uh, Take 2 there. Or you can go on our website. It's uh, all, always listed there. And you can listen online as well. But today, I want to finish this up. And this is not exhaustive. We'll be doing this again probably in the spring. But I want to talk about 10, 10 major Events leading up to the last days, the end times from my perspective. I think we can focus on ten things. There's more, but I believe there's ten things that we can uh, take a look at that I think are characteristic and uh, warning signs or warning signals 
that, uh, that's, that are happening in our world that are saying to the church and saying to Christians, it's time to wake up, it's time to be alert, it's time to get prepared. So here are the ten that I want to talk about. Number one, an intensifying of a holy war. An intensifying of a holy war. The one thing that I think we all need to accept and understand and realize that in our world today, there is a holy jihad. There is a holy war that's going on. And uh, if you look in the Bible, they talk about three heavens. I don't know if you've done that. Paul said he got caught up to the third heaven, which is, is heaven. And the second heaven, as they describe it, or area, is really the, the spiritual entities and, and the battle that's going on between good and evil in this realm right above us. It's the second realm, if you will. The third realm is heaven. The second realm is where that spiritual intellect and spiritual battle is going on. And, and then the third realm is the earthly journey that you and I see and experience it and, and are living in right now. And we get so caught up in what's going on here, again right now, the politics and our nation and what's going on and, and all of those things. That's, that's this world. That's, that's what we see and touch and, and um, it has to do with our five senses. But there's a realm and a world that's right above this and it, right above this is holy jihad. There's a holy war going on in the second realm right above us. And what we can't do is we enter into the last days is just get focused and sidetracked on what's going on in the here and now, what we can see and feel and experience. We've got to understand what's going on in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realm. And I'm telling you today, there's holy jihad. There's a holy war going on, and it's part of the uh, end time scenario, in my opinion. So you say, well, what do you mean holy jihad, holy war? There is a war between three entities, as we would know it. The Jews, and then the branch from that is called Christianity, and the third is Islam. Those are the three entities that, in the spiritual world, that are at war one with the other. For the Jew... If you know anything about Judaism, they don't believe Messiah has come yet. They're still waiting. I have a friend who lives in Jerusalem, and he's lived there about five years and interfaced with the culture, lives there. And he said, if you live over there, there's all kinds of conversation and talk. They feel like they're on the precipice of something happening, cataclysmic, and what they believe is they believe Messiah is about to come. They're, they just feel like it's, it's almost here, it's at the door. They believe Messiah is about to come. For the Christian who's born again, who believed Jesus was Messiah, there's many in the church who believe Jesus is soon to come back. We read in the Bible about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there's a sensing in the church. There's a sensing among many Christians that, that Jesus is coming back. And if you know anything about uh, the Islamic religion, today, maybe more than ever before, they believe 
that the coming Mahdi is almost here. The Mahdi is the anointed one. The one that's to come in and to usher in a worldwide Islamic faith. And the thing that's interesting between uh, uh, Judaism and Christianity is that we believe we really don't have any part to play. We can pray, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but we really can't do anything, or, or the Jews, to, to make Messiah come or to make Jesus come back. But in the Islamic faith, they believe that they must do something to usher in the coming of Mahdi. You may remember uh, Ahmadinejad? He made it clear that he believed that in some ways he was a forerunner to make sure that the Mahdi would arrive soon and come on the scene. Anybody ever heard of ISIL or ISIS? Do you know what part of their philosophical uh, Islamic uh, radicalization is? They believe that they are to bring about holy jihad, holy war, which will establish the opportunity, the environment for the Mahdi to come. My friend, one of the signs of the end times is an intensifying of holy war between the Jews and Christians and Muslims, those of the Islamic faith. Second thing I believe is a sign of the, the last days is the growth of Islam. For the last 2,000 years or so, if we go before that, we usually see in the Bible the, the focus on Judaism and the, and the rise of Israel. But in the last 2,000 years, since the coming of Christ, uh, we have seen a, a great expansion and growth and, and popularity and, and focus on Christianity. And I believe it's still going to grow and, and make inroads and, and make a difference. But I believe you and I are living in the time of the rise of Islam. This is a time when I believe the, the Muslim faith is going to grow and, and permeate and, and advance. And again, ISIL and, and ISIS, that's their whole idea, is the holy wars. They're to propagate the, the earth, prepare for the Mahdi, because they believe in their theology that there will be a one world religion and it's Islam. And they're going to do everything they can to uh, make the world an Islamic world. I believe we're seeing an increase and a rise of Islam. I don't know if you know, but the, uh, many of the leaders in the Muslim faith have said that by the year 2050, it's a strategic plan that they have that... A majority of the population in Europe and America will be Muslim. It's, they already have a plan. They're planning their work and working their plan. They want to bring people into America and populate, and they believe by this strategy, by 2050, this will no longer be the majority of Christian nation, but an Islamic nation. That's part, I believe, of the rise of the end times is the growth of Islam. Have you ever noticed, and did you know that they say that when we look at uh, uh, end time prophecy, that America and the West are not even mentioned? Have you ever heard that? 
Did you know that? Prosperous America, prosperous Western culture are not even mentioned in the end of days. And I think it begs the question, the, the, I think one of the greatest nations on earth, probably the greatest economy in the world, I know we're 20 trillion in debt and uh, you add another 100, 110 with entitlements and we're 125, 130 trillion in debt, but well, where else are you going to go? Look at Europe, look at Japan, uh, China, obviously grow, uh, a little bit going, here's our economic man over here. But the point being is, how can the, one of the greatest nations with the greatest military power, probably the greatest uh, economy on earth, how can we not even be mentioned at the end of time? What's going to go on? There are some who believe that we're heading to an economic collapse and that uh, our, our prosperity and our prosperous nation that we won't be mentioned because there's going to be a collapse of the dollar or there's going to be a collapse of our economy. Some believe that. That's why we won't be mentioned. Some believe because uh, there are nuclear weapons in war and, and that somehow we may be nuked to some degree so that uh, we won't have the, the preeminence or predominance that we have right now. And I can't tell you those could be true, but I have a different suspicion. I believe it's not so much the economic thing. I don't think it's so much uh, the uh, nuclear war thing. I believe it's because the Islamic faith is targeting Europe, especially America. And if it's true that in coming days they're the majority, then why would the West even be mentioned? That's my thought or perspective of why the West isn't mentioned because the Christian nation that we are, the prosperity of our, we will be an Islamic nation. I know some of you are going crazy over that and can't believe it will ever happen. I remember growing up here and I never believed that there would be anything between here and Loveland. I mean, growing up here, it's like, oh, there's Loveland. And they were saying, oh, yeah, someday there'll be buildings and homes between here and Loveland. And we said, no way. It'll never happen. Duh. Wake up. And I want to tell you, and I'll say this in a moment. Do you know that what I'm saying right now, that if I'm not careful and somebody takes this wrong, that I could be accused and I could be charged with a hate crime? Third thing, I think there'll be the growth of anti-Semitism and anti-Israel. Please listen to me. Satan hates Israel. Satan hates the Jews. Satan hates Christians. Let me tell you the truth. Islam hates Israel. Islam hates the Jews. Islam hates the Christian. And so it goes out on record. I'm not talking about just a lot of the average Muslims who are good people and do, do not wish us any harm. But there is a jihadist side, a fanatical side of Islam, like there is in Christianity, but in a radical side who see us as the enemy. There's a radical side of Islam who is called out and declared and described Israel as the little Satan. 
and who calls America the great Satan. And so in the Islamic theology, if there's going to be a Islamic one world religion, they have to destroy the little Satan. They have to destroy the great Satan. And so I think you're seeing it now, and I think you're going to continue to see it. You're going to see a rise of anti-Semitism, anti-Israel, even from America. The Bible says in the end days, everybody will turn against Israel. Now, we've been the strongest ally Israel's had. We're really the only ally they, they kind of have. That's waning. Listen. Read your newspaper. Listen to the evening news. And I believe that's why there is going to be a continued rise of Islam. And we as America eventually will not support Israel. I want to. I believe we should. Uh, I believe there's an Abrahamic covenant that we get blessed by. Uh, we were, uh, the Jews were were cut off so that we Christians could be grafted in. We're sons of, of Abraham, so we should appreciate that. But if there is an overtaking and a rise of Islam, eventually and biblically, in the end days, every nation will turn against Israel, including America. Number four, the persecution of Christians. How many of you are really excited about that one? Please hear me. In the end days, there will be a worldwide persecution of Christians. It's prophesied. It's predicted. Please listen to me. It's not coming to America. It's already here. The persecution of Christians has already started. And I think it's going to increase. How many of you know if you're a Bible-believing that you believe that this is God's word, this is a God's authoritative word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that all 66 books of the canon of the Bible are inspired and are in here because God wanted them to be in here, and this is your life and your conviction, you believe this is God's revelation of himself, do you know that if you believe that with all of your heart, that you're old-fashioned, that you're outdated, that you're prejudiced, that you're homophobic, that you're Islamophobic, that you're judgmental, that you're a hater of what's good, you must be unloving, you are a threat to progressivism, and you are the enemy of progress. Anybody ever heard of a man named Antony Scalia, he was a, a, one of our Supreme Court justices who passed away. And in our Supreme Court, as you might know, uh, what was it, nine months, a year ago, that they um, uh, redefined marriage. It can be between a, a woman and a woman and a man and a man. They moved away from age long since the beginning of history that uh, the, the covenant of marriage was between one man and one woman. And when the Supreme Court voted on that and uh, they approved uh, same-sex marriage, did you know what Anthony Scalia said? He said what I just told you. 
he said, it's not just a matter of an opinion. He said, those who believe that now, if you believe this book, you are now an enemy of the state. Folks, this is not happy days. This is not the days of Father Knows Best or Mayberry RFD. I, I wish they were. I'm here to tell you that there is a coming persecution of, of Christians. Like I said, it's not coming, it's here. How many of you know that in America today, in the governmental understanding, they have what are called hate laws? Did you know that? If I speak about my belief in pro-life, in the sanctity of marriage, and I somehow take, somebody takes that wrongly, do you know that the police could come and knock on my door and take me to jail and charge me with a hate crime? Now they can bash Christians all they want. You can you can you know get ridiculed and upside down. But if I say something that someone who practices, and I've talked about this, I hope I don't have to go back, I love everyone, I believe everybody should be created, uh, treated equally, they were created in the image of God, and I'll love them, but we'll disagree on certain things, but do you know that if I stand up on some of these, what they call social issues, I think they're, they're religious issues, I think they're spiritual issues, I think they're real life issues, did you know that I could be charged with a hate crime as a pastor? Persecution isn't coming. Persecution is here. It's only going to continue to grow. I better get going. Number five, a falling away of Christians. The Bible makes it extremely clear, Matthew 24, in regard to uh, when it talks about the persecution of Christians, that there will be a great falling away in the last days. The context of this is clear. It's not talking about a lost world or non-believers. It's talking about born-again Christians, Christian people who call themselves Christians, people who are in the church. There will be, in the last days, a great falling away of Christians. See, when Christians encounter persecution, many are going to fall away. Many who are weak believers... Many who are anemic believers. Many who don't know their Bible. Many who live by their opinion and their motion, not by the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Word of God. When they come to your door, and it's going to cost those people, I'm deeply troubled and afraid that many will succumb and compromise. I'm not sure, oh, even so sure, I know what I'll do. Somebody could hear this message and I could get a knock on my door. I could get a phone call. I could get subpoenaed. I could have a warrant for my arrest. They could say, hey, you keep this up, we're going to... We're going to take your house. We're going to take your now, A lot of you are thinking, where is Crabtree, man? Our pastor has lost it. He's played too much golf with Rod Wilson. and he's. <laughs> Don't be so sure. 
And don't be so sure that you're not going to get a phone call. Do you know they're watching social media? Guys, don't put all your head in the sand. They're watching every move you make. And there could be a day if you like something, if you post something, if you uh, look on the internet towards something, that they could accuse you of, of being a threat to progressivism, to what's going on in America. What if they knock on your door? Are you ready? Am I ready? I don't know. I'm being honest with you. I'm trying to prepare now. Because the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Now listen to me, please. Have you heard the Bible passage that says that narrow is the path that leads to life and only a few go thereby? But wide is the path that leads to destruction and many go there? Do you think that passage is only about non-believers? Got you, some of you thinking, haven't I? Some people, oh, that's just uh, for non-believers. A lot of non-believers, the, the non-Christian world's going to hell. But, but well, I'm a Christian. I, I walked down the aisle. I raised my hand. I, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm an American. I grew up in a Christian in nation. That can't apply to me. Oh, don't be so sure. There's coming a great falling away. The Bible says that in the last days. And I believe that narrow is the path that leads to life. Why the path that leads to destruction? There is a coming great falling away in the church. Six, a focus on Israel. I've got to get going here. Focus on Israel, Jerusalem, and the Dome of the Rock. Because I mentioned the first, I believe there's an intensifying holy jihad and a holy war. You're going to start seeing more and more attention, not only in the Middle East, but towards Israel, towards Jerusalem, towards the Dome of the Rock. Anybody ever heard of the Dome of the Rock? A lot of Christians never even heard of the Dome of the Rock. Anybody been to Israel? Jerusalem? Anybody seen the Dome of the Rock? Two of us? Three of us? Four of us, maybe? The Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, in the old city of Jerusalem, because it's, it's divided between Jews and Palestinians, in the old city, there is a dome over a rock. Rock meaning foundation. In all three faiths of Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam, it's maybe considered the most important place on planet Earth of their religion. It's the foundation. For the Jew, they believe that was Mount Moriah, uh, the rock where Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac. They would think that that's a holy place. The Jews believe that that's a holy place. They were reestablished as a nation in 1948, which was prophetic. There was a six-day war in 1967. And a lot of this had to do with the city of Jerusalem and the Dome of the Rock. For the believer, for a Christian believer, that foundation, that place is the place where Jesus went in and he listened to the teachers. And, he, and, uh, and they were kind of basically, what are you doing? He's, what are you doing here? You're a little kid. And his parents went off and he stayed there. He says, I must be doing the will of my father. That Jesus Messiah at that place surrendered to the call of God to fulfill his work as Messiah. 
for the Islamic nation, the Dome of the Rock, that rock and then the dome that's over it represents, is the place where they believe that Gabriel the angel came and took Muhammad on what's called his night journey to heaven. So all three of these religions, these faiths where there's holy jihad and holy war, there's a battle towards one spot and it's going to intensify. It's Israel, Jerusalem, you're going to see more tension and more fighting at the Dome of the Rock. Seven, the Antichrist rises to power. I'm going to talk about the seven years of tribulation in just a moment. But uh, in the end days, there will be the rising of an Antichrist. A kind of a supernatural human being who will be able to bring some kind of calm and peace to this holy jihad and this holy war. And most of us believe that somehow he will rise with supernatural power and he will be able to create a true peace treaty between Israel and the Palestinians or, or, or Judaism and Islam. And he'll be able to create a super pack of, of uh, unity, if you could put it that way, in a peace treaty. And that will uh, usher in seven years of tribulation. Three and a half of those years will be very peaceful. In the middle of that, he will break that covenant. He will uh, rise up in the temple where? The Dome of the Rock. And he'll say himself to be God. And that will usher in the last three and a half years of tribulation, which will be horrific and terrible. The world has never seen such tra tragedy and trauma and heartache and pain. Number eight, the rapture of the church. This is a controversial one, depending on your theological training, your theological background, uh, what denomination you grew up in. Eight uh, out of ten of you with no problem go, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I don't know what anybody else believes. The Bible never speaks of a word called rapture. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6, uh, 17, it talks about a catching away or a snatching away of believers. That word snatching away or catching away is the uh, Greek word rapture. That's where people get it. And so you've got people who believe there's a rapture that's going to occur in the last days. Some believe it's a pre-tribulation rapture. Before Antichrist rises up in the beginning of the seven years, there will be the rapture of the church. Every true born-again Christian will be out of here. If you read uh, uh, those books, what were they called? Huh? I didn't hear it. Left behind. Left behind, or you saw the movie, it's talking about that. So they believe that, that the church will go before the... Um, the, the uh, tribulation, it's called a pre-tribulation rapture. Some believe, no, that won't happen, that the church will go through the first three and a half years uh, of the tribulation, but it'll be peaceful, and then God will come and catch up his people and rapture his people before those bad three and a half years. That's called a mid-tribulation rapture. And there's some who believe that, that the believer will go through the whole three and uh, seven years, three and a half good, three and a half bad. And then at the end of the tribulation, before the return of Christ, the millennial rule of Christ, then there'll be the rapture. 
So depending on your background or your schooling or you're saying, I didn't hear any of this, this is all over my head, and I don't even know what you're talking about. But there are people who believe in the faith that there's a pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation. I'm not going to give you my opinion because it might only simply be my opinion, and I, you can say you can proof text a lot. But I would say this, if, if, by possibility... There's a pre-trib rapture before the seven years of tribulation. Do you know there is no other prophetic thing, Old or New Testament, that needs to happen before the rapture of the church, if you believe that? That means that we don't know when uh, the Antichrist will show up. We don't know when the seven years of tribulation, if there is a pre-tribulation rapture, we don't know when that's going to happen. It can happen in the twinkling of an eye. If you want to get into a more discussion about the rapture, I'll be glad to talk to you later, but this is not the place for it. I'm going to have the band come back. But I want to say one more thing about the rapture. There are people who, who there's something, who's going to go in this rapture? If, if there's a catching up or snatching up of the church, what does that mean, the church? Does that mean anybody that said they were a Christian? Or anybody that's born again? Or... Is it that only those people who are being prepared and are prepared will go? Think about that. In the parable of the ten virgins, if you look in your Bible, it said there were ten virgins and they all had oil. Oil represents what? The Holy Spirit. If you're not careful, and we don't have time to go into all, but the reality is that most people would believe that that's a parable, not only to get ready and prepared, but if you're not a believer, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't be a born-again Christian. But if you have the oil, then you're a born-again Christian. But if you look in that parable, it says they all had oil, but seven got prepared. I mean, five got prepared. Five were being lazy, goofing off, and they ran out of oil. Now, I do know what a parable means, that you don't take it literally. It's telling a story of another principle. Guys, I know that. Been to, been to school, been theologically trained, been through systematic theology. But think about that. Could that mean that not everybody that says they're a Christian will go in the rapture? So we better be alert and we better be prepared if there's a rapture. And if there's a rapture that only some Christians get to go, I'm just telling you, I don't want to be here in the last three and a half years of the tribulation. If it's in my lifetime, I don't want to be here. I want, Lou's the only one that's going with me. <laughs> Lou and I are getting out of here. We don't want you. Now, if you guys want to go, you didn't respond. I know it's rhetorical. You don't have to. But I don't want to be here in the last three and a half years of the tribulation if it happens in my lifetime. Really convinced me, really enthusiastic. Okay, bear with me. I got 18 more. No, just kidding. Two more. Seven years of tribulation. Go real quick. You've heard that. There'll be three and a half years of peace. And at the end of that, the Antichrist will break treaties, set himself up in the temple, the Dome of the Rock, the place of holy place for three different religions. And the last three and a half years, uh, years again, that's why people hate Revelation. They're scared of it because when they read about it, they hear of all the stuff that's coming. Last point, there'll be a second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
At the end of the seven years of tribulation, the Bible makes it extremely clear that Jesus' second coming will happen. He will come to this earth and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. That's called the millennial reign of Christ. What some of us don't understand is that who's going to be here with him? The catching up of the church. We'll be coming back with him. See, we think heaven's just this place up here with smoke and clouds and we'll be playing our harps. And we don't understand that the Bible says that we'll have a part to play in not only the millennial reign, but then in the final judgment. My friends, when Jesus comes back to set up his millennial thousand year reign, at that time he will prove himself to be the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords. He will show He's Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Savior of the world. And all the world will see Him for who He is. And then it will be done. He is coming. So I leave you with this. These are ten Symbols, signs, activities that I want us as Christians at church to be looking at, to watch. The Bible says we're not children of darkness. We're children of light. We're children of the day. So the darkness shouldn't overtake us. We need to understand and recognize the signs of the times. These are the last days. And so I say to you and I say to me and I say to the church... Be alert and be prepared. Hey, let's stand up. Believe it or not, we're not going to be here forever. We're going to fly away one of these days. We thought we'd sing this again. We need your help, though.